0: Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, and then I'm going to read through the—actually, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start at verse 1 of chapter 1 and read through the end of chapter 2 because, again, as we've said the last couple of weeks, Jonah is a short story. And so seeing all of the events together as they, as they work themselves out together— uh, is important for us. So I actually want to read uh, all of that we've read so far and then this morning's text as well. But this morning we will focus on verses, uh, verse 17 in chapter 1 through verse 10 in chapter 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where did you come from? What What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again, or I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains. I went down into the land whose bars closed over me forever. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up out onto the dry land. Jonah's sin had carried him to the lowest place possible. If you look in verse 2 of chapter 2, to the belly of Sheol, he cries out, this is the lowest place that Jonah can possibly go. He's been thrown overboard now by by the sailors. And he's been swallowed up in verse 17 of chapter 1. Right at the end of the chapter, he's been swallowed up by the great fish. Now, this is the popular part of Jonah's story. The part that we associate Jonah with most closely is him being swallowed by this great fish. But I hope as we've studied so far, now in, three, in, in two weeks and now into our third, that you've begun to see Jonah's stories a lot more than just getting swallowed up by a big fish. Last week at the, the second half, or really kind of verses 4 through 16 in chapter 1, we, we saw that Jonah's descent, or Jonah was on the descent rather, Jonah's descent operates to us like a parable. It operates to us like a parable, or more appropriately, we would said an enacted parable. And you remember that Jesus often spoke in parables, he often told stories so that his hearers would understand truth better, or in the case of those who do not have ears to hear, so that the truth would be concealed from them. The word parable literally means to cast alongside, and so Jesus would use parables, casting a story alongside a greater truth, to illustrate that truth. We say that this is an enacted parable because we affirm the events of Jonah as historically accurate. Jonah was a living parable. And last week, as we discussed in verses 4 through 16, there are several ways that Jonah's life points to larger truths. We explored the the fact that Uh, The sea in the Old Testament oftentimes represents the Gentile nations. The sea often represents the judgment of God. And you can see that even in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. Verse 5, for instance. The waters closed in over me to take my life. This is judgment. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. The sea the represents judgment. And so Jonah is called to go to Nineveh to call the Ninevites to repent. But Jonah knows very clearly that what is happening here is that God is turning his attention away from Israel. God is turning his attention toward another nation in order to provoke Israel, his people, to jealousy this is what moses says in moses chapter or in in moses in deuteronomy chapter 32 look for moses chapter 32 you won't find it and in deuteronomy chapter 2 or 32 you'll see in the song of moses uh, moses says to the people of israel before he dies he says if you provoke God to jealousy by by sinning against him, by violating his holy law, then God will in turn respond by provoking you to jealousy. He will turn his attention away from the nation of Israel, and he will begin to look at other people and begin to show them mercy. We talked about the fact that Jonah is the first prophet of Israel to be sent to a people other than Israel. And so Jonah knows that he's that guy. All of a sudden, he knows that he's the one uh, that Moses spoke about. That when Israel provoked, uh, or when God, Israel provoked God to jealousy, God then would provoke Israel to jealousy. And Jonah is the bearer of bad news. He's the guy who's called to take the word of the Lord to the people of Nineveh. And what that means is that God is turning his attention away from Israel provoking them to jealousy and so when we see in verse 5 of chapter 2 the waters closing in over Jonah he recognizes the reality that judgment is coming for Israel he recognizes the reality that the waters the The Gentile nations are going to invade and even take captive the people of Israel. And just a couple of generations will pass before Israel in its entirety, northern and southern kingdom, are carried off into exile and scattered all over the region. Jonah is a living parable and his descent is showing us larger truths about things That are happening. So Jonah goes to the sea. He goes down to Joppa. He boards the ship headed for Tarshish. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah can't flee from God's purposes for him. And even by going to the sea, by taking, by taking the gospel, even he preaches the good news of who God is to the sailors on the boats. He should have gone directly to Nineveh and done that, but, but he gets on this boat and there are, there are people from all kinds of people groups on this ship. They all call out to their gods, depending on where they're from what people group they belong to. And Jonah makes a declaration in chapter 1, verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. And the sinners acknowledge God as God and they repent at the end of chapter 1 in verse 16. The men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They repent and believe in the one true God, the God who made the sea and dry land. Jonah in his disobedience still fulfills God's purpose for him and he will now do it again in chapter 3 when we get to chapter 3 next week. But but Jonah cannot escape God's purposes for him. In obedience, what Jonah should have done is obey God's word. When the word of the Lord came to him in verse 1 of chapter 1, he should have obeyed God's word and he should have taken the, the message of repentance to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria and Assyria is one of, Israel's, it is actually Israel's greatest threat here. A raging Gentile nation that threats to consume, to drown the nation of Israel. Jonah cannot escape God's purposes for him. But now we meet this fish in verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah has now hit rock bottom. His disobedience, his refusal to submit to and obey God's word has carried him to rock bottom. On his descent, he's reached the floor and he's pressed up against it. So in this passage this morning, in verse 17 through verse 10, in chapter 1 through verse 10 of chapter 2, there are two things that I want to explore with you this morning in these, in these verses. Two things to guide our time. First is simply this, I'm going to just say, a peculiar place. A peculiar place and second, a postponed prayer. A peculiar place and a post. Honed prayer. First. First is this, a peculiar place. And we see this, you can see where I'm going with this right away. Because of verse 17, swallowed by a great fish, he's in the belly of this fish. And if I were to ask this question and I would ask for a show of hands, no one would put their hands up if I said, have you ever been swallowed by a big fish? Because because none of you have. Because this is a very strange place to be. It is a very peculiar place for Jonah to find himself. And again, we know that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord, and that means that Jonah refused the presence of the Lord, represents uh, submission and obedience to God's word. Again, the presence of the Lord here does not mean some ethereal, emotional, um, sort of like, place that you ascend to but rather just the word of the Lord that came to Jonah he refuses to obey and submit to it and he runs from it he flees from the presence of the Lord of course God is everywhere he's in the belly of a fish he's in this place now he's out when you go to work tomorrow and he's all across the entire created universe God exists everywhere there are not higher concentrations of God in different places objectively But so when we're talking about the presence of the Lord, we mean that Jonah refused, resisted to submit to the word of the Lord that came to him and to obey it. Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. Jonah goes down to Joppa. Again, this descent language. Remember all the downs that we looked at. There's four or so in the first couple of chapters. Jonah descends on this downward spiral. He goes down to Joppa, he goes down into the boat, he goes down and he goes to sleep, and now he's in the belly of Sheol. He goes into the boat headed for Tarshish, and this is the exact opposite direction that God has told him to go. The storm comes up, the sailors throw Jonah overboard to calm the sea, and now Jonah gets swallowed up by this great fish in verse 17. And again, you may have never been, no, when I say you may never have been, I mean, you have never been swallowed up by a great fish, but you've certainly found yourself in places that you did not intend because of your sinful action. You have certainly found yourself in places that you, as an individual, did not intend to go because of your sinful action. There is no exception in this room to that statement. There is no exception. Our sin in one way or another, our sin of unbelief, our, we, can, we can list a whole host of things here, but you have certainly identified with Jonah in the fact that your sin has, in fact, carried you to a place that you did not intend to go. Jonah's sin carried him to this peculiar place, into the belly of a fish. Now, a point of a, an important point here to consider is like the sea represents the Gentile nations and the judgment of God. So also in the Old Testament, uh, the picture of sea monsters or something like a great fish uh, is representative of something important for Israel. Gentile rulers, like the king of Nineveh, that'll get mentioned in briefly in chapter three. Um, Gentile rulers are often referred to as sea monsters. And so consider the reference uh, to Exodus and Pharaoh in Psalm 74. You divided the seas by your might. This is the Red Sea, right? He divides the seas and the, the Israelites walk through and then they close in over the Egyptians. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him, you gave him as food for the creature of the wilderness. This is Pharaoh. And the prophet Jeremiah also talks about the king of Babylon similarly. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has rinsed me out. These Gentile kings and rulers are like sea monsters. And this is important because they threaten to swallow up Israel in their military conquests. Or through uh, recovering the slaves as they exit Egypt. But here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting about this. Is that God doesn't waste these monsters that seek to, and seek to devour his people, and even do, in some instances, devour his people. What's interesting in Jonah's case, in the case of Israel, on multiple occasions, is that God will protect his people with these kings and rulers. God. Now, this doesn't necessarily seem like protection, but follow this logic. God sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah. If God... Verse 17, the Lord appointed, the Lord directs this fish to do this thing. He directs the fish to swallow up Jonah. If God had not appointed the fish to swallow up Jonah, what would have happened to Jonah? He would have died. He would have drowned. He's in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the sea. There's no hope for him living here. There is no hope at all for him to escape this apart from God appointing a fish to swallow him up. And so the nation of Israel would be carried off into captivity again just a couple of generations after Jonah lives. And their enemies would come to tear them out of their homeland. They would destroy Israel's cities. They would destroy the their, their holy places, they would completely devastate their way of life, carry them off into captivity, or scatter them across the region. But God, like God did not allow Jonah to drown, the kings of the Gentiles will not destroy Israel entirely. The people of Israel will be carried off into exile, but they will not perish in the process. Friends, this is good news for us, because no matter how many of us run up against people who are powerful in our world, the, uh, the Solomon says in the Proverbs, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He will turn it wherever he will. And... So, when we are carried off into these places that we did not intend because of our sin, God will use people like the king of Nineveh. He will use people like Pharaoh. He will use people like the king of Babylon who only intend harm for us to, in fact, protect and preserve us. This is good news. Like God appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah, protecting Jonah's life, so God would appoint Gentile kings, non-Jewish kings, to protect the Israelites from complete destruction. So Jonah, again, is in a weird place. He's in an odd, peculiar place. His sin has carried him into exile. His sin has carried him into the belly of a fish. And just like Israel's sin would mean exile, living amongst strange people in a strange land, so Jonah in the belly of a fish, a strange place, a peculiar place. I want to offer you immediately here in this section a handful of implications because there's a lot here for us to consider. I'm just going to give you three. Three implications about Jonah's situation in this peculiar place, the belly of a fish. First, and we've already said this, but our sin carries us to peculiar places that we we do not intend to go. I just want to think about this more specifically with you right now. Our sin carries us to peculiar places that we do not intend to go. Again, sin can become very quickly like a downward spiral a descent, unchecked sin that drags us down to low, low places. Jonas' sin brings him to the belly of the fish. Israel's sin brings about captivity and exile. Similarly, our sin brings us to low places. And of course, there are some simple examples that I'm sure we can all think of regularly. If you break the law, you get a criminal record, you may have to pay a fine, and if it's substantial, Worse, you have to serve time. If you don't show up to work, you will certainly be reprimanded. If it becomes a pattern, you will lose your job. These are places where we lack integrity or where we fail to acknowledge the authority placed above us. In both of these instances, this is sin. And those things take us down low to a low place. Object lesson. All right, are we good? Wow. No, we're not. Where's the? Now it's me. Okay. It's not coming from me. you will fix it. Okay, here we go. It's everything. It's everywhere. Okay. So, for again, our sin carries us to the low, low place. And, of course, there are these obvious examples. There are these obvious examples that exist for us. But if you find yourself in a situation like that, um, I'm afraid that sometimes what we do is we miss some more of these subtle examples. We miss some more of subtle examples like have you considered that your marriage, that the poison, uh, your pride might be poisoning the future of your marriage, or that your selfishness in the moment may da- be damaging your relationships with your kids when they become adults, or your grumbling and complaining may be leading you to very I- be very isolated late in life? All of these things seem relatively innocuous. They seem very small. They don't seem like big things that that take up a lot of space. They seem like they're really not that big of a deal, but they lead us in a downward spiral to a place that we would not want to go. None of us would want to be isolated or uh, elated in our lives. We would want to be surrounded by loved ones as we close out our life. None of us would want to be alienated from our children because of the way that we couldn't keep control in their midst. None of us would want to, uh, to have our marriage go downhill because just the poison that we speak into it because of our pride. And you see, like, again, these sins don't seem like a big deal in the moment, but their, impact, but their impact can extend further than we think, or than we care to think, or we want to remain ignorant of thinking. So Israel's idolatry here may have seemed not like a big deal in the moment. They're sort of like, oh, just worship this over here for a little bit but their impact extended much further. They caused exile and captivity, maybe not in the moment for that generation, but for future generations. Jonah's resisting God's word may have been justified in his mind. When, he, when the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go to, this, this, to go to Nineveh, this great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up against me, Jonah may have thought, if I go the other way, God will just find somebody else. Or maybe he'll, maybe he'll just forget about this whole thing altogether. But instead, Jonah finds himself in the belly of a great fish. And one of the big lies in our culture is that we should live for the moment. One of the lies of our culture is that we should live for the moment. Scripture warns us about being nearsighted in this way living for the moment in this way. Our actions have effects in the future. Solomon, again, in Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There is little hope for a prideful man, and hope is future-oriented. Hope is future-oriented. His pride will carry him to low places. To be told that we should live for the moment is dangerously nearsighted prompt. Because those who live for the moment are in fact acting in sin. Because they're not taking into consideration anything that comes after them. They're engaging in self-centeredness. Failing to recognize that their actions have lasting impact even if they refuse to acknowledge it. So, this is the first implication that we see from Jonah's situation. Is thats that... Is that Our sin carries us to peculiar places that we do not intend to go. But the second implication here is that God protects his people with peculiar places. And notice I didn't say in peculiar places, but with peculiar places. This is an important distinction because this is what's being communicated here in Jonah. In verse 17, again, God appoints the fish to swallow up Jonah. But again, apart from the fish, Jonah would have drowned. His life would have ended. The fish was judgment on Jonah, but it served this dual purpose. It was also the way that God preserved Jonah. This would be the same for Israel. God would appoint a Gentile nation to carry them off into captivity and exile, but the belly of the fish of those Gentile nations, God would protect his people And then those Gentile nations would spit Israel back up into their own land. We see this happen in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the the Israelites going back into Jerusalem, returning from exile. And so if you're genuinely in Christ, if you've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you are a believer, your sin may take you to a peculiar place, but God will protect you with that place. Jonah had no more opportunity to flee from God's word. That's the point. When the belly of a fish, right up against the floor, right up in the belly of Sheol, there is no more opportunity for Jonah to flee. He was prevented from spiraling further. Similarly, when we who are believers hit rock bottom, God uses that place to prevent us from descending into sin even further. Maybe you know someone or even yourself have sinned against your children. Again, you've been manipulative or you've been harsh with your adult children and they've stopped coming around. They've stopped visiting you. This may be God's protection for you. As hard as that is to hear, that may be God's protection for you because now you see that you've been manipulative and harsh. And their withdrawal, while it hurts, has protected you from sinning against your children even more. This isolated place may have even begun to cause you to see or sin, to give you chance to reconcile. For the Christian God appoints us to be carried into peculiar places and then uses them to protect us and bring us to repentance. It would have been far worse for Jonah if God had just let him go been far worse for Jonah if God would have just let him go. And it's the same same for you and the same for me. Third implication here. God uses peculiar places of his people to bring about his purposes. Jonah in the belly of the fish realizes, he realizes that he needs to repent and acknowledges that God is God. Jonah says at the end of chapter 2 that salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah didn't like it, but God will save who he wants to save. And in the case of the story of Jonah, that's the Ninevites. One of God's purposes for the nation of Israel was to be a light to the nations, to show everyone who God is, all of the other peoples of the earth, to show all the other peoples of the earth who God is through holy living, God intended, through the nation of Israel, to show the peoples of the earth who God is. But so often, Israel, we see this all throughout the Old Testament, this is like the whole story of the Old Testament, the the Israelites don't want to show the nations who God is, they want to look like the nations themselves. And so when Israel is carried off into exile, it's God allowing them to be the very thing that they desire to be. He's giving them over to the very thing that they want to be, like the other peoples of the earth. But not only does God protect his people with peculiar places, he uses them in those places. In exile, God maintains his purpose for Israel. Someone like the story of Daniel, although in a place that's not his home, has profound impact on the Gentile nation in which he's fixed. The sin of Israel may be that they're carried off into exile, but God will use them to be a light then from within. Jonah would still be used by God, and we'll see that in chapter 3. God was patient with Jonah. Do you think, friends, question, do you think that your sin and your sin's effects Do you believe that because you've sinned and because your sin has had effects on others that God no longer has any use for you? Do you think that because of your sin and your sin's effects in your life that God has no longer any use for you? God uses us, friends, imperfect creatures to bring about His perfect purposes. You can still enact an obedience even if you've been disobedient, Nearly every moment up until this point, you can can you still you can still act in obedience to God's word, even if you got it wrong last time and the time before that, and the time before that. Because of his sin, Jonah found himself in a peculiar place in the belly of the fish, but God wasn't done with Jonah. The second thing that we see in this text, though, the first is a peculiar place, the second is a postponed prayer. A postponed prayer prayer. Chapter 2, verse 1, look at that with me. Again, we're told that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, I want you to note that this is the first time in the book that Jonah has actually said something to God. This is the first time that he's actually said anything to God. But when the word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Jonah didn't respond. He just ran. He just ran. But now Jonah actually prays. When they're in the midst of the storm, it's the sailors who cry out to God, not Jonah. All Jonah says is to throw, them, throw him into the sea. This is a postponed prayer. It should have come much earlier. Even if Jonah wanted to grapple with God. Even if Jonah wanted to speak to God and say, God, no, don't make me do that. But he doesn't do that at all. He just turns and he runs. It took running from God, putting the life of the sailors in danger, getting thrown overboard to calm a storm, and getting swallowed by a big fish to get Jonah to pray for the first time. Now, the content of the prayer that Jonah prays is, is good stuff, because Jonah here, we understand that Jonah knows God. He knows about God, and he knows that God how God works. Jonah knows his Bible. Chapter 2 of Jonah is littered with references to the Psalms. If your Bible has cross-references in it, you'll see Jonah quotes Psalm 3, 120, 118, 88, 42, 31, 69, and 50. He, this, and it's not a lot of verse; It's nine verses or eight verses. He knows a lot of his Bible, and he can even say from memory, he didn't have a scroll with him in the belly of the fish, he can say from memory what those things are. But Jonah isn't ignorant. This is not Jonah's problem. He's not, it's not that he's ignorant of God's way or God's word, but Jonah's problem here is that his good theology isn't translating into anything. It's not translating into any kind of application. Jonah understands that his sin has driven him into a low place and that God is a God who, when approached in humility, will deliver. But this knowledge of God isn't actually the thing that leads to obedience. This knowledge of God, knowing who God is, isn't the thing that will lead to obedience. Brothers and sisters, listen, our knowledge of God alone cannot lead us to obedience. Demons believe true things about God, but they are disobedient to God's word. Yes, we want to know true things about God, but it must not stop there. We don't want to know just things about God. We want to know God. Jesus Christ has revealed God to us. In Christ, we can truly know God, not just know about Him. And in Christ, we can truly obey. So consider with me the nature of your earthly relationships. If you're married, you know your spouse. You don't just know things about your spouse. One of the reasons you know your spouse and not just know things about your spouse is because you have interpersonal communication with your spouse. You talk to them. You speak with them. You say something, and then they say something back. You look one another in the eye. And you say stuff to each other. Now, that takes work. That certainly takes work. And sometimes we'd rather just know about people. We like to have details of people's lives without actually speaking to them. That makes us feel good. Powerful. We like to know things without actually investing effort into relationships with other people. But if we're not careful, this slippery slope can become what our spiritual life looks like as well. You may feel comfortable sitting down and reading your Bible regularly. There you find true things about God but it can quickly just become informational. A relationship has two-way communication, but many Christians are completely lost when it comes to the idea of prayer. Our right understanding of of God will not translate to obedience if we're not actively living in relationship with Him. The only way to have relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Trusting him, being born again, recognizing our sin, repenting and believing. This is the only way to have right relationship with God. But then we're invited into active relationship with him. We're invited to know him through his word and to know him in prayer. Jonah ran from the relationship that he had with God. He didn't even bother to address God when God addresses him. But at the end of this passage, Jonah repents. Look at verse 9. He says, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. This is indicative of Jonah's repentance. Jonah now plans to act according to the word of the Lord. His delayed obedience is in fact disobedience, but God is patient and he protects Jonah in the belly of the fish. And in chapter 3, he gets a fresh start. Look at the first two verses in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, the message that I tell you. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. God is patient. Jonah's sin does not eliminate God's purposes for him. But now Jonah repents. He turns and he goes the other direction. This passage leads us to a couple of concluding thoughts. I just want to give you a couple questions. Pose a couple questions for you to consider as you go, and then we're going to turn our attention this morning to the Lord's table. The first question just flows out of this, this section, the post the postponed prayer of Jonah. But here it is. Are you frequently postponing prayer in your life? What does prayer look like in your life? Are you taking everything to the Lord in prayer, praying without ceasing? Or like Jonah, are you waiting until you're at the end of your rope? In dire straits? Or, in rock, or at rock bottom to pray? Our prayer is an indicator of the relationship that we have with God. Our prayer is an indicator of the relationship that we have with God. Those who are running from submitting to and obeying God's word, like Jonah, probably are not praying regularly. But the more we know God, not just know about God, but the more that we know God, the more we want to talk to God, to bring our requests to Him, to confess our sin, to, to express gratitude to Him. If you know true things about God, but don't know God, your submission and obedience to his word will suffer. If you don't know how to pray, consider the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't don't even know where to begin. Well, good, good news is that the disciples ask this very question. You should do the same thing. You should ask the question. Lord, teach me to pray. It's very simple, just, Lord, teach me to pray. Because that's exactly what the disciples said. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus answers them. He says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you've gone extended periods of your life, descending in sin, or just simply not acknowledging the relationship that you have with God in Jesus Christ, ask today, just seriously, ask now. Lord, teach me how to pray. Are you frequently postponing prayer in your life? Second question for you, and then we'll turn our attention to the table. Has your sin carried you to a place you never intended to go? Maybe you're here this morning, and you're later in life. You're nowhere near the place that you thought you'd be 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. You took some wrong turns in rebellion to God, and you're here now. And your life looks very different than you thought it would or that you had hoped it would. Friends, trust that God, in his divine providence, may have appointed this direction for your life for your protection. Your sin may have drowned you. Jonah's sin threatened to drown him. And outside of a peculiar place, a giant fish coming and swallowing up, He would have died. But your spot in life, although you would not have chosen it for yourself, has kept you from continuing in destructive patterns of sin that lead to death. And Jonah did acknowledge, like like he did, acknowledge your sin before God and repent and turn to Christ. If you have not done that, repent and turn to Christ. It may not immediately remove you from this place and restore everything, but ultimately it will. Because all who come to Christ by faith are welcomed into the family of God. There is no one who is not, who turns to Christ in repentance and faith. Um, there is no one who is not welcomed into the family of God. No matter what your sin was, no matter how heinous it was, no matter how long and how far you ran, Jesus Christ has paid for that sin. No matter how long you've run, no matter how far you You've gone. Jesus Christ has paid for your sin. If you've never trusted Jesus, come to Him. Turn from your sin and trust Him and Him alone. Now's the time. There is no better time than right now to trust Jesus Christ because there are no preconditions that need to be met for you to trust Jesus. There are no preconditions that need to be met in the next five minutes. You come to Christ now Say, I have sinned and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of that sin. There's no better time than now. If you've trusted Christ, but have been on the run, stop running. Just stop running and turn back to him. See the reality that your sin has carried you to a place that you do not want to go. Stop running and turn back to Christ. The Father will receive you back with open arms. And that brings us to the Lord's table. The good news of the reality that's being expressed in the Lord's table is that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us when we were in a good place or did the right thing X number of times. He didn't die for us because he looked down at us and thought, you know, that guy's doing a really great job now. Rather, He looked upon us in our sin, and with a great love with which he loved us, he sent Jesus into the world to die for us. And so when we go to the Lord's table this morning, we're acknowledging the reality that our sin can take us nowhere but down. But Jesus Christ knows his way out of the lowest places, like we talked about last week. Jesus Christ went into the grave, the lowest place, all of the sin of the world on him, and went into the ground, and he walked out of it. Three days later, he walked out of the grave. There is not one of us in this room who can bear that burden and walk out of the grave. There is not any one of us who could bear any burden whatsoever and walk out of the grave. Jesus Christ, crucified for us, risen for our assurance that we would be raised with him on the last day. And so as we come to the table, you're going to see the bread before you. This is representative of Christ's body broken for us. You're going to see the juice. You're going to take that. You're going to drink it. This is representative of Christ's blood shed for us. Our body broken should have been ours. The blood spilled that should have been ours. But instead, Jesus Christ operates as our substitute. He stands in our place, taking our sin upon him. And no matter how low we've descended... No matter what place and where our sin has carried us, Jesus Christ can bring us out. And he can, in fact, bring us home. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this is an intensely personal time for you to think about the the reality of your sin. Think about the reality that Jesus Christ died for you. But this is also an intensely corporate time where we together are unified through the elements that are provided here. We see very clearly that God did not save us as individuals, but saved us into a group, into a, into a church, in order that we might bear witness to the world about who he is, in order that we might proclaim his death until he returns. Consider that as you approach the table. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come down to the front, grab the elements, and return to your seat, and take them when in your, you and your heart are prepared to take them. Um, this is for believers, If you're in here this morning and you're not sure where you stand with God, if you're not sure about who Jesus is or what he came to do, then I would just politely ask you to refrain from coming down to the front. No one's looking around or thinking about you. They're considering what God has done for them in the person of Jesus Christ. Just sit this one out. Parents, again, if your kids are in here, they haven't made a credible profession of faith yet, allow them just to hang back, watch you, think with you about the good news of Jesus Christ. Use it as an opportunity to give them the gospel on the ride home or in the moments where we're quiet or singing. Use this as an opportunity to show them who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna invite you to come down when you're prepared. God, we thank you this morning for the truth that's contained here in the book of Jonah. God, we thank you that no matter how far we descend, no matter how far we go down, God, you are there. You know exactly where we've been. You know exactly every single thing, every single place that we've been. And that's because we know Jesus. We know the fact that Jesus descended into the lowest place, bearing the sin of the world, and then walked out of the grave. God, would we trust Him today exclusively for the forgiveness of, your sin, of sins? Would we recognize that it is not because of the works of our hands or the labor that we engage in, the kindness that we have towards others, or any work that we can conjure in and of ourselves that saves us, but only through Jesus Christ. God, would we, with a resounding, uh, with a resounding shout, say, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not up to me. It's not up to us. It's up to you. God, and for this we rejoice. God, would you cause us now in these very moments to draw nearer to you. If there are those in this room who have not come to you in prayer in a very long time, God, would you stop them from postponing the prayer? Would you invite them again into relationship with you? A dynamic active relationship. God, we thank you that you invite us into these things. That it's just not a mental ascent, that it's not simply just about about knowing things, but that ultimately, God, it's about knowing you and recognizing who you are. God, would you cause us in these moments now as your people to be unified together through this meal? And we thank you for these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.